Welcome to Soul on Fire. My name is Elizabeth Boyer and I'm your host. I am a graduate student studying to be a licensed professional counselor. I am also an an emotional empowerment coach. Today I'm going to be interviewing a friend and colleague, Mr. Brent Lyles, who is a registered mental health counselor intern in the state of Florida. We are going to be talking about trauma in sort of a general sense, um, recognizing and identifying some trauma responses that are both physical and or emotional. Uh, talk a little bit about coping mechanisms as well as DBT therapy. I hope you find this information valuable, interesting. If you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to me and I'd be happy to answer them for you. Or if you need some additional resources, I can also help you with that. Thank you for listening and tune in. So welcome to Soul on Fire, the podcast. Uh, My name is Elizabeth Boyer. I am a graduate student studying to be a licensed therapist. Um, I'm also a life coach and I focus on emotional empowerment. I have a special guest today. Um, Brent Lyles. Is that how I pronounce your last name, Brent? Yeah, you did good. Awesome. And Brent, tell me um, who you are and what you do. Yeah. Uh, So as uh, Elizabeth mentioned, I am Brent Lyles. I am a registered mental health counselor intern in the state of Florida. And I specialize in the techniques of DBT, dialectical behavioral therapy, solution-focused therapy, um, as well as strength-based and positive psychology. I've been working in the field of substance use and mental health, working at several different treatment centers for over six years now. And I'm in the process of becoming fully licensed. And I was honored and privileged to be able to meet Liz through our journey course with the life coaching which is where i'm going to be um taking on a new different avenue i would say uh, outside of counseling to add to my tool sets yeah so for those of you who are listening brent and i are both in a professional coaching program through an organization called journey um and that organization is amazing Um, The co-founder or the founders of that organization are John Kim, who is the angry therapist, and Noel Cordo, who has like, I don't know, so many qualifications, I can't list them all. But it's an awesome program, and that's how I met Brent. Um, So today, um, we are going to be talking about something that I feel is really relevant because of sort of what's going on in the world at this exact moment. And so we're going to be doing sort of an overview of trauma, the responses to trauma, common responses to trauma, and then some coping strategies, and specifically um, DBT, which is something that Brent is going to lead on. So what made me want to talk about this with Brent specifically today was just sort of observing my friends, my family, and my colleagues respond in such different ways to what's going on in the world. Um, And I actually sent him a text a couple of days ago and I was like, dude, what's going on? Why are, why is everyone having so many different types of responses where I've seen some people utilize this time for cleaning their homes, exercise, you know, um, they're embracing the solitude and um, not, don't seem to be very bothered, bothered by it. Where others are hoarding toilet paper, um, you know, and, and stocking up on goods from the grocery store or just really having other reactions. And so I'm going to open up the conversation and just talk a little bit about the different types of reactions that we can have from trauma. Maybe do a little definition of what trauma is and talk about the physical and emotional um, reactions that we typically have common responses. So Brent, um, since you are a counselor, uh, do you feel comfortable giving a sort of a definition of what trauma is? And I can chime in on my own opinion as well. Yeah. Um, I know that right now 
there is so many different definitions of what trauma is. Um, right. I think if you talk to any type of therapist, uh, psychologist, psychiatrist, social worker, they might have their own uh, viewpoints on trauma and what they define. Um, right. And even the I DSM, like to... I'm sorry, even the DSM has like such a very um, short uh, definition of what is considered to be trauma, right? And so Correct. I'd like to to expand that and, and just make it, you know, more what we are thinking trauma is right now. Yeah. So I look at trauma as kind of in the realm of, uh, I would say, mental, emotional, physical, uh, sexual, spiritual, um, meaning that those are your pri- uh, your primal needs that we get. Um, you know, your mental, if you're, you're um, thinking and your belief systems are there, um, with your emotions, um, some of us are hijacked by emotions. Um, you know, the sexual component, you know, if we were victimized or we might have experienced our first sexual experience that was not um, into consent or that was very distressing to us. Um, and then when you look at spiritual, that could be like our upbringing or indoctrination by certain religions and how that shaped us. So I look at um, trauma and that causes some type of distress. It is going to um, cause a, a catalyst, or I would even plus that a little bit, a shatter point. I actually like that better. Kind of like a shatter point, like a glass being broken and it splinters. Mm-hmm. And that can be in so many different regions that I mentioned, the mental, emotional, uh, physical, um, psycho, uh, sexual and spiritual. And then you can have all combinations of that and trauma. I think that we all experience, there's a difference between what we call small T trauma and big T traumas. Um, your small team traumas are ones that, uh, you can still be, um, functioning and you can learn, uh, to manage your life and go forward. Mm-hmm. And you have your huge T traumas, which are actually, uh, ones that will cause some type of severity and most likely you'll develop um, other mental health components that go along with it, if that makes sense. Yeah. So just from my understanding as a graduate student, trauma is an emotional response to a terrible event, like an accident, like you mentioned, raped or a natural disaster. And even in the DSM, trauma normally is, you know, defined as like, when we have soldiers in war and they see bombs going off or people, you know, dead bodies or think, you know, major, you know, events that happen. But like you said, there are smaller traumas that we experience in everyday life. Um, and, and everyone experiences them differently. You know, um, some people, for example, who go through a divorce would say that their divorce was no big deal where others, (laughs) would say divorce was very traumatic for them, you know, and so they suffered longer. Um, So I think for today, I want to talk about trauma in a very broad sense. And, you know, with the pandemic, I think there's so many different ways that people are reacting. Um, And we're going to talk about some of those physical reactions and emotion reactions to trauma in general, but maybe we can apply it to what is going on right now. Um, Trauma, I think also, you know, is different. Like I said, it's different for everyone. So if you've experienced trauma firsthand or if you've witnessed trauma or you've heard about trauma, right, those can affect you in different ways. Um, So the reaction to the trauma can be triggered by a person, a place, or a thing that's associated with trauma. Is that accurate, Brent? Yeah. And like I I said before, like trauma has so many different definitions to it. And I think it's always ongoing and changing um, because one person's experience that could be presented as trauma could be different to someone else and how they interpret and how they have adjusted to or or not adjusted to it. 
Right. So again, you know, there's so many factors that are, that come in play. Um, I know that once in, when I was in graduate school, we read a article when I took a trauma informed course um, that was 16 weeks with two psychologists that specialize in trauma. And I remember it was a twin study that happened. And I can't remember what the, the full details are since I'm just recalling memories from being out of grad school for two years. But what I remember specifically in the study was that they had two sets of twins that grew up in the same household, physical and emotional abuse and probably mental abuse as well that happened. One twin turned out uh, to become uh, involved with substance use. Uh, they had unstable, broken relationships. Uh, they had a continued pattern of traumatic events that happened to them. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then you had the other twin that actually thrived and actually did the opposite of their family system, set up the boundaries, cut them off, and actually was, I would say, to uh, faint of saying, uh, was able to function to the best of the ability. Right. Um, neither one of those is the correct uh, response. It was just it depend on who they were, what they their temperaments were, and also to your biology factor behind it, what was unlocked in the DNA. And your, your temperament and your personality plays a huge factor um, into a lot of traumatic events. Absolutely. Yeah. So fascinating. I think for people like you and me who are total psychology nerds, you know, these are the types of conversations that are just fascinating. And twin studies, I think, are just even more fascinating. And as someone, you and I both, who, um, you know, have experienced different levels of what would be considered traumatic events, um, I've experienced that firsthand where I have seven brothers and sisters. And you can literally take a you can literally take a line and draw it down the middle and you can see how some of us reacted one way and the others reacted the other way. And um, my, my point is there is that, like you said, there is no right or wrong response. It's just, we're all built different, differently, genetically and, um, it's, it's just so interesting to me, but so let me, let me switch gears because I went a little bit off of a, on a tangent there. Let's, no, talk, let's talk about, um, and not only that, but my 10 year old walked in the room and I was like, oh my gosh, what's happening? Um, so here's, uh, sort of some physical responses. We're going to talk about the physical and emotional reactions that we have from trauma, um, and these are what are considered to be like normal reactions to abnormal events. Would you say that a pandemic is normal or abnormal, Brent? Oh, be definitely consider uh, abnormal. And yeah. I, I, I think, too, we're seeing that from a global level right now, what that is causing. So yeah. you can only imagine that not only of those of us that uh, live and continue to live with traumatic events that happen, um, what that's doing for us, but then also for the um, person who might have not experienced uh, certain different traumatic responses in their own lived experiences. Now we just kind of like pulled the, the rug underneath pretty much the whole world. And it, it, like you said before, when we we're about to jump onto this, it's just interesting to see different people and how they're responding. Um, yeah. And how each person is responding different and uniquely that's for them. Um. Yeah, I, I, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk specifically about this today, because um, I just see so many different ranges and a lot of, I think it has to do with, um, well, much of it has to do with what is your experience with trauma already? Meaning if you are someone who's never had any major big T trauma or little T trauma, how are you responding? Or if you are someone who, um, who has experienced trauma, how are you handling it? Um, and so I think that's where the variation comes into play. And so I'm fascinated I'm totally fascinated by the reactions of people. And you can go on social media and just observe it. People are being critical of others because of their reactions. And um, 
it's, it's really a weird time. And so, um, let's talk about some physical reactions that people can maybe identify with trauma. Um, so I'm going to just talk about a couple and then you can chime in. Um, so aches and pains like headaches, back aches, stomach aches, um, changing in your sleep patterns, your appetite, maybe your sexual interest. Now those are so strange because those are, could apply to like everyday life in general. So as a, as a counselor, what would you say that would be different from what it's normally like for people if they're experiencing trauma and they start having these sort of sorts of symptoms or reactions, like, not symptoms, but reactions. Yeah. Um, well, the DSM calls them uh, symptoms. Um, we'll call them reactions because, you know, they're actually actions or behaviors that are, are being presented. Right. Um, so f- for me, a lot of times when I'm seeing a lot of people that are going through, it's the activation of the fire flight response. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know what that is, that's also known as what we call the hyperarousal. So this is actually a primal instinct of who we are as human beings and also too within the animal kingdom. So, for instance, when I'm teaching uh, clients and what I've learned over the years with myself that has an active fire flight response uh, mechanism built in due to my lived experiences of the, the traumas that I've went through in my own life, uh, you got to think about this switching on. And a lot of times we all experience this, uh, the needed adrenaline um, that kicks in for survival. And what I tell people is it's how we're so different than the animal kingdom is Let's say you're watching a video, right? And this will be a trigger warning if you're, you know, if you're an animal lover and stuff, but I'm just kind of throwing it out there a little bit. So if you're watching kind of a interactive and I love watching uh, uh, geographic and different stuff, you're seeing a a gazelle, right? And now you're seeing like, let's say a lioness that's hunting the gazelle, okay? The gazelle is doing its natural firefight response, right? It sees the lioness, what does it do? It runs, right? for survival. The lioness is hunting the gazelle, right? Let's say it captures the the gazelle and at one point, maybe the gazelle gets away, okay? So what do you think the response would be for the gazelle, right? We would think it would be similar to us, right? The gazelle walks away and then now it's having this internal dialogue in itself and being like, oh my God, like like my day wasn't rough enough. Now I almost got killed. Like, maybe I turned the wrong thing. I wonder what Susie's going to think about the situation. Like, that was close. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I'm going to cope with life after this. We think that, that that's, that's going to be a response that the gazelle's going to have, but they're not going to have that. What the gazelle's going to do is go back to its basic, basic needs, which is what? Sex for mating, uh, eating, or resting. If you think about it, right? Right. We in the animal kingdom put meaning behind things. We put metaphors behind things. We have beliefs behind things. So it makes sense that when we get hijacked by the firefight response, that something inside us gets activated. Right. That's where physical. That's where these physical reactions come into play. Correct. It's almost like we get imprinted uh, in that moment, in that time, with that traumatic experience that happens. So would you? Would you say then that some of these physical reactions, like the few that I mentioned, there's even others like, um, like I mentioned, agitation, yeah, yeah, the sleep patterns, the appetite, your sexual drive, maybe even the way your, um, you know, constipation, diarrhea, things like that, um, easily started by noises or touch, um, yeah, increase increases of use of drugs and alcohol. I have seen so many people posting like you know, their stockpile of alcohol and stuff like that. So would you say that those fall under, or those are, I mean, we don't have to, to, to figure it out. Those are the fight or flight reactions. Those, some of those physical reactions fall into that. It could be. I mean, when we look in, like I said, I've been working in the field of substance use and mental health for six years. And what I've seen in my experience with working over hundreds of clients that are in recovery from their substance use or still in active um, components of their substance use, that uh, the fire flight uh, gets activated constantly. Right. Um, 
and we're using, let's say, alcohol, for instance, to cope, right? What does alcohol do? It's known as a downer, okay? It will suppress your emotions, right? It will chemically lure them down to you feel very good. Now, unfortunately, you know, that works in the moment, but when's, what ends up happening? You're not really processing what's going on, your emotions, your, uh, your thoughts about it. Now you're turning to something that is a coping skill, that, which is what it is, right? But it's going to cause some type of distress. And then we're going to see some type of replacement from the emotions with the negative thinking. And then that will become form of, it can come with a form of an addiction that's there. Right. And I think that a lot of people don't know that they might not, might actually have a disposition for alcohol or substance within their family system yeah. and the biology that they don't know about. So it, 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 it's not surprising for me to see that a lot of people are turning to drinking. It's very sociable, acceptable in right. our Western culture. Right. Um, I'm, I'm not really surprised. I wouldn't uh, even be shocked that after this uh, global traumatic experience that we're all going through together and within as the human race, that we start seeing a huge increase in substance use and mo- different people that are most unlikely to think that they have an addiction or maybe they built up a unhealthy tolerance and then they would use this as a negative coping skill. Right. Especially because this is something that's not just, it didn't just happen. Like, um, correct. I hate to compare it to, um, you know, September 11th, but I was talking to someone the other day and I was mentioning to them, you know, besides September 11th, um, and I'm a Gen Xer, this has been one of the most, um, monumental global traumatic events that I've witnessed in my life. Um, But speaking of physical reactions, what do you think um, about the people who are still highly functioning or the people? um, And I think maybe I have fallen into this category. So I'm interested to see what you think as a counseling professional who, um, you know, who have sort of maintained their everyday routine or, or maybe heightened it to the point where like, I'm homeschooling my son, I'm working full time, I'm also going to school. Nothing has really changed for me in that respect. Um, but I see a lot of other people also doing that. What kind of reaction is that? And, and, and what is your feedback on that? I'm just curious what you think. I think that it depends on the person, their their temperament, their their personality, and their also their lived experiences. Mm-hmm. And also it depends on all the different factors that are put in play. You know, I think some people are doing the best that they can. Maybe they've had past experiences where they're pulling from. Um, maybe people have seen coaches, um, psychologists, uh, social workers, counselors, and therapists in the past that they were able to prepare themselves. Um, some people throw themselves into work if there's still stability with work. Uh, you know, it really depends on a coping mechanism, right? Right. And it can be if there's still a job that's in place. I know right now, I think, and I might be misquoted because numbers are always changing and they're inaccurate. We're seeing the highest unemployment ever in United States history. We're, we're talking about millions of people that are unemployment. Right. And because I guarantee it's, because it's had such an effect on such a huge part of right. the economy, the um, restaurant right. so service I, yeah. industry. Right. Right. So I would see an individual, right. Who's still maintaining work right now. They're probably still functioning, right. Because they still have some type of stability in that area. Right. They mm-hmm. still have some type of income. I can see some type of dysregulation, meaning uh, instability that happens, right? When, let's say, they lost their job and maybe they were their only support in the family system. And then now they really had a, a uh, parents that they were already taking care of. Now they have kids that they're going to have to be responsible for. Now they're not thinking, now they're forced to like, how am I going to pay for rent? Am I going to have uh, a foreclosure on my mortgage because I'm going to miss a payment? So right. again, it really depends on the individual's situation. And, and I, I think, th- go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I think that's why we see so many different responses and why it can be a little confusing for people to understand or to have empathy because it is so different for all of us. Like you said, some of us are experiencing the loss of a job. Some of us are experiencing loss of a job and they're homeschooling, 
Whereas if you haven't lost your job and you're homeschooling, maybe homeschooling has been more manageable for you versus the person, like you said, who has no idea how they're going to pay their rent or their mortgage or put food on the table. And so I want to, I want to move into and include these emotional reactions that we haven't really dug into yet, but I'm just going to list a few and then I'll have you chime in with what, what you think too. But some emotional reactions are shock, disbelief, fear. I think fear is huge. Anxiety, um, denial, and then like we already sort of talked about, which is this hyper alertness or hyper vigilance, um, irritability, restlessness, um, worrying, um, also minimizing the experience, which we've, ta- we've sort of talked about. Um, and also um, unpleasant past memories can resurface. I think that's an important thing to maybe touch on too, is that People who have existing uh, history with a traumatic event may be um, triggered because of all the, uh, you know, extra stress that they're feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, what can you add to the emotional, for the emotional reactions? Yeah, I think with the emotional reactions, it's, again, I'm going to normalize it. I think what you're, what any type of emotion that you're feeling, it's okay. There, and especially with the the theory of therapy that I've been trained under and I've been using uh, for years now, uh, I see emotions as neither good or bad, right or wrong. They just exist. Right. And what I mean by that is emotions are just signals to what is taking place with our thoughts, and our thoughts are actually triggered by our own lived experiences or our beliefs. Right. Mm-hmm. So, for someone who's had, let's say, uh, multiple traumatic experiences, right. And would say that maybe individually to them, uh, they might have responded uh, differently to it. And again, responses are so different depending on temperaments, your biology, and again, the severity of that trauma itself, right? So what we might see with them is now those things are going to resurface, okay? Because here's the thing, with trauma, trauma gets archived into our brains, Okay. I don't want to get into the neuroscience of it because it becomes very complicated and people kind of always kind of uh, tap out when they get into the neuroscience. Right. But like, like the filing cabinet, uh, right. where it's yeah, files filing away. cabinet and these memories or experiences get filed away Correct. temporarily, but we can recall them right. sort of subconsciously. They, you know, get recalled. Right. Unconsciously, they get a response that that gets recalled back up when there is a similar or familiar uh, situation or interaction that reminds the individual as a response to the original traumatic experience, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. So then what ends up happening is now would say the new uh, traumatic experience that we're all going through. Right. And if you had past ones before, your filing cabinet is going to be wide open. You're going to have multiple emotions that are going to come up. You're going to have flashbacks. You might have uh, irregular sleep where you might be up throughout the night or not sleeping at all. You might have uh, certain uh, night terrors again, right? Dis- what I consider very distressing uh, dreams that your brain's still trying to work through with certain memories between what was reality and what was not reality. And I've seen a lot of worry too. And I've experienced worry myself. Um, And so that one was, was really, you know, people are worried that they're not going to have basic necessities. And I think that is definitely when um, the hypervigilance sort of kicks in because we're not sure of the unknown and the unknown is so scary for us. Um. I love this conversation. I am just so fascinated by all of it. Um, I want to talk a little bit about some helpful coping strategies, but I specifically want you to talk about DBT. Um, And so let me ask you um, about coping strategies. And as a counselor, what is the purpose of teaching someone how to cope? And I also want to just touch base on a positive psychology um, 
concept, and that is resiliency and um, how you said people recall their past traumas. And some people react with resiliency and some people do not. And I can, I can sort of um, share my own experience with that. I have been sort of analyzing myself and my own reactions. And I feel like because of some of the lived experiences that I have had, maybe I have more resiliency than others. Um, and maybe that's why I've been more calm. Um, because I'm just so used to chaos. <laughs> and so my nervous system hasn't been totally hijacked yet by all this fear and anxiety, um, which I guess is just my own response to it. But um, let's talk about coping strategies, Brent, and tell me what would be like the top five things that most people are going to rely on for coping. And I'm going to start off by saying, Things like relaxation, yoga, and meditation, for me, are my coping strategies in life in general. What, what, what are some other ones? Yeah. And if you don't mind, I'm, I'm going to, just for your listeners, because I know a lot of people don't know, I'm going to quickly define what DBT is. Oh, please do. Please do. I'm so yeah. sorry. No, you're good. So DBT is stemmed from, uh, from a model called CBT, okay? So cognitive behavioral therapy. So basically what we look at in CBT is how our thoughts and our beliefs shape our emotions, and then those emotions with those thoughts and beliefs therefore have rea- uh, actions to your behaviors. So DBT was designed by Dr. Marsha Linehan. Uh, what she did was she saw that there was a need for uh, different areas in therapy that need to uh, be present. So what she did was she designed a whole new field, um, almost like a sister aspect, but its own thing off of uh, CBT, and she created DBT. So DBT also uh, stands for dialectical behavioral therapy. So dialectical means basically that there could be two things that can exist at the same time, okay? Meaning that you can have um, a, uh, two contradicting things and you can find peace with them. Um, and a lot of people are like, well, what does that mean? Right. What that means is it's allowing you to be unstuck and it allows you to not have this very extreme way of how you see life. It either has to be this way or that way. It's all about kind of finding that, that happy medium in, in the middle. And so when, when, we... when people are having a, a stress response or a trauma response, Sometimes I think that we do get stuck in that black and white mindset where yes. it's like, okay, so things are just crazy right now. And the world is in this panda, panda, no, I can't say the word pandemonia. And so I'm going to just dive right in and go one way or the other, but I can't be both. And so um, that's why I think DBT is so fascinating. Um, yeah. So tell me more about it. Yeah. Um so what's fascinating is um, is that it's broken up into four different modules, okay? So all I, all I mean by that is at its foundation, Marshall Linehan um, found out that we were lacking something in our Western society, and that was the practice of mindfulness. And that might be triggering for a lot of people because we've actually used it as a pop language now. A lot of people use it free going without fully understanding almost the science behind it. Right. But then also like the existence for where it came from. So the existence of where it came from is you find it a lot of times in Eastern cultures. That's what uh, I was gravitating towards when I first got into DBT and actually experienced it as a client myself when I went through years of therapy and continuing to see a therapist today, um, which intrigued me, was being able to practice uh, mindfulness of being able to be present in the moment to build this uh, mechanism called awareness of my thoughts, of my emotions, of my, my behaviors. And we find this a lot of time in multiple cultures, um, uh, mostly in Asian cultures and the Japanese, Thai, uh, Thailand. So what Marshall Linham did was she sat there and said, I want to take the Western science and I want to combine it with Eastern philosophy and also practices. I'm not going to discredit that there's been things uh, that have been working in Eastern, uh, the Eastern hemisphere with techniques and with philosophy and with their own 
uh, ways of coping with life. So the foundation is mindfulness and you have to have that to be able to go forth into the other uh, modules. Okay. And when you build that self-awareness and you're willing to understand that something needs to change needs to happen, then you're able to branch into these different areas that can help you. One is called emotion regulation, Mm -hmm. which is basically how do I learn how to cope with my emotions without a negative impact with my actions, right? Or how do I take on, uh, how do I not allow my emotions to be my core identity, right? And allow them just to exist for what they are, okay? okay. Right? So then you have the, the, the other module, which is called distress tolerance. This is basically how do I cope with a stressful situation that will not cause harm to myself or to other people, Okay. Now, I mentioned before in this podcast that substance use, right, such as alcohol, can be seen as a coping skill, okay? But here in the lens of DBT, it would be looked as a very unhealthy thing, right? So distress tolerance teaches you how can I deal with a stressful situation in the moment that's, again, not going to hurt myself or other people. Or so these are hel- these, what you're trying to say is, is there's healthy coping mechanisms. Correct. And there's unhealthy coping mechanisms. And, um, yeah, you know, obviously, um, consuming alcohol is not a, is not a healthy coping mechanism. (laughs) Not if you're trying to, you know, treat, uh, use it to treat your thoughts and your emotions. Now, is there some of us that can do it socially and do it without it becoming a problem? Of course. Um, unfortunately for a lot of us, um, it can unlock maybe those DNA components of addiction within our family system or some, or substance use history, or we use it with a a talk. We start building a a dependency or a tolerance of it that could be damaging. And if you're consuming a lot of it, it's going to change how you respond to things. So first we talked about mindfulness and the second category was remind me again. Emotional regulation. So how do I regulation? Okay. Yeah. So like I said, and distress tolerance is basically like, how do I find a healthy coping skill in the moment? Right. That allows me to distract myself without causing damage. What would be Uh, things that you could list to, to break it more street for people? What would be some emotional regulation coping skills? Right. So emotional regulation coping skill would be, let me think on top of my head. It would be. Would, would, bre- oh, would breath work right. fall under that or? Well, breath work would probably fall under probably mindfulness. Okay. Uh, emotional regulation would be uh, identifying the emotion. Okay. So if I'm feeling anxious, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were talking about worry and having that, right? So I would sit there and say worrying would actually probably link, uh, align itself with anxiousness, right? So anxiousness is actually the emotion, right? So the behavior of anxiousness is anxiety, right? That's going to be the action behind it. right? So let's say I'm experiencing uh, anxiousness. I need to identify it. I need to recognize it. Call it out. I need, name I it. I need to kind of, I kind of need, correct. I need to name it for what it is. I need to learn to not to have judgments towards it. I need to be feeling a certain way or I need to be reacting. So what you do is you name it, right? You feel it for what it is. And accept accept it, right? And then eventually you learn to just healthily let it go, you know, and normalize it that it is okay and understandable to be anxious during these times. Or, hey, it's a human experience to feel anxiousness, to feel worrying, uh, to have worries, right? That's normal. So that's how emotional regulation would be. It's basically being able to look at things kind of like a wave, okay? Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that, right? So if we look at the type of the wave, right? I tell clients all the time, stop fighting the currents of your emotions, mm-hmm. right? So I live in Florida, okay? I'm all about, work, uh, I'm used to rip currents. I'm used to waves. I have beaches on all like three parts of the freaking state itself, right? So what I've learned Stop with bragging, the Brent. I know, sorry. Um, with the with, with with the ocean, right? Is some of our emotions are gonna be intense. They're gonna feel like these waves that hit us and they knock us over. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing. If we learn how to 
look at that wave, we can better prepare ourselves with it. We know that when that wave hits us, what ends up happening, it leaves for a little bit. So the intensity will decrease. So with Marshall Anaheim, what she stated was ride the wave, knowing that at first your motion is going to feel like this rip current and you're going to drown. But the more that you find yourself returning back to a baseline, okay, back to some type of normalcy with that emotion, uh, with that emotion, you'll be able to follow it down. And unfortunately, like you're only listening to me, but I'm actually using a hand motion. It's almost like you're taking your hand and you're, you're jacking it, jacking it. You're, you're going back and forth with it, right? Intensely. But eventually your arm will get tired and what will it do? It's going to have a sore uh, reaction to your hand and your hand's going to do what? It's going to slow itself down, right? So that's how you have to react with emotions. You got to get to a point that understanding that they will pass. Right. Anxiousness can only last so long in the body, right? What's the next next part of that? So we had mindfulness and then we had emotional regulation. Right. So you had the distress tolerance, right? So distress tolerance and for, for instance, I'll pick one um, that you actually like um, okay. that you probably might have used yourself, Liz, is your thoughts, right? Mm-hmm. So thoughts is taken from um, what is the algorithm called accepts. Okay. So DBT is so complex with its coping skills. Okay. So what it did, it simplified it and it actually put words or algorithms in place, right? And had each of these letters stand for something. So I'm just going to use the T from accepts. Okay. So the T from accepts is just thoughts, right? And being able to replace negative anxious thoughts with activities that keep us busy. Okay. Or keep our mind busy. And we could be, we can also distract in a good way by saying the alphabet backwards or forwards, right? Maybe so doing a Sudoku really puzzle. anything, anything that keeps you, you're you busy, keeps your mind off right. negative right. emotions. Right. Um, so this allows you to distract yourself from a very uh, destructive uh, behavior. That right. Of happen, just, right. Of sort of going into like a loop of just the same negative thought over and over. So participating in activity it. helps sort of break up that constant thought process. Yeah. Right. So why would tell a lot of people is during this time, you could play video games, play a puzzle. Uh, John, who's one of my friends, who's a family therapist that I work closely with, he does chess. He talks about how he feels really stressed out with his emotions. He turns to chess, and that kind of helps them to not act out impulsively. So it's being able to kind of take that little tool, right, out of that word, accepts just the T, and just replace your, your negative anxious thoughts, right, distracting it. Maybe music will help you, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe drown it out with a helpful music, a podcast, uplifting podcast, for instance. Maybe watching a movie um, that's not going to be triggering, like a horror film or something. Maybe something that is uplifting or upbeat or cartoons, for instance. That will allow your, your mind to distract itself right, right. in a healthy way. What's Does another- that make sense a little bit? Absolutely. It's fascinating. What's another, another way in that step? Yeah. So another thing, too, that I think is beneficial um, for people, um, and I'll take this from improve. This is another set of skills. Okay, so improve the moment. Okay. Okay. And again, I'm trying to do this from recall memory right now. So one that comes up is uh, the O in improve, which is called one thing in the moment. So one thing in the moment is being able to stay present with your awareness of what is taking past. You're letting go of the past of what you you're 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 not going time. You're not time jumping in the past. Right. You're not thinking about all the what ifs. Right. You're not future tripping. You're not going to future stressing out. You're just doing one thing in that moment that can allow you to change. Right. So So things are feeling a little less overwhelming. Right. So you find one thing right to do and you focus your entire self on it so for instance Liz something that you like to do is yoga yoga would be challenging you to focus on one thing in the moment right totally you're doing different poses right you're gonna have to do breath work you're gonna have to be able and your body's gonna respond because your body's gonna be like hey Liz like you need to pay attention because my cramping is starting to happen in my left leg right so you're 
you're actually distracting yourself in that moment, right? You're engaging. And what I tell people all the time too is doing yoga or working out, for instance, go for a run. That's one thing. Just focus just on running. Your body needs that. Your body, uh, that will allow you to connect the mind and body aspect again. Because here's the thing, when our minds start racing and when we start getting our irrational or negative thoughts happening, and then that amplifies our anxiety, right? Our right. actions and our anxiousness, our emotions that gear up, you can work that out in your body, right? Through yoga, through uh, working out and exercise. And oh, the- notice that, I'm sorry for interrupting, but I noticed no, you're fine. another one of the skills in this section is self to be able to self soothe and yeah. I, I feel like for me and under that is movement I feel like yoga for me is the coping mechanism that I use because it does basically change my emotional state with my right. the movement of my body and then you include the breath which totally changes my yeah entire nervous system well what is it doing too is it's anchoring you down to what the ground Right. you're fully anchoring your mind, your emotions, your, yeah. your spirit and your body all at once. What it's is, anchoring down to moments. What is, um, I noticed um, there's another skill and I'm so fascinated by this and I don't know a lot about it. And so hopefully I don't put you on the spot. No, you're fine. Go for radical it. acceptance. Oh, man. I, I hear that <laughs> term used a lot and I have uh, sure. interpretation of it. But I would love for you to, from a DBT standpoint, explain what that means. So the best way I teach clients um, is the serenity prayer, okay? And for those that don't know what the serenity prayer is, it's actually used in AA and NA type groups, okay? So basically, it's a, it's a prayer or what we know in, in Eastern language as a mantra, right? It's being able to say a repeating uh statement over that can help us ground ourselves Mm -hmm. so the serenity prayer is basically allows us to understand what we can and cannot control if that makes sense right so dbt is about how do i radically accept the moment what's going on what can i really control in this moment right so for instance i'll give a situation for you right so let's say i am having a really bad day and i go outside and it's storming and then now i'm thinking about oh like great there's going to be this is going to just add on to the plate of everything else that's going wrong for me right and that moment i need to be aware can i really control the outcome of the weather in that moment no i can't I am not storm from the X-Men. I don't have the ability to manipulate, you know, weather patterns and whatnot, nor am I God to control that or a higher power, right? So in that moment, I have to radically accept that I cannot control the weather. All what I can control is how do I respond to it or how do I react to it, right? And that gets into its own complexity, right? The difference between responding and reacting. Mm-hmm. And reacting is very, if you think about it, it's very negative, right? We're just impulsively uh, reacting in the moment, which would be like, oh, great, this is just something else. Or can I respond in a good way and be like, you know what? At least it's raining. I can't control it. Maybe it's going to force me to take a moment. Maybe I can sit back and enjoy the smell of the rain. Um, and you kind of have to let go of things in the moment of what you can't control. And that's what radical acceptance is all about is how can I accept the mo- what my situation is in the moment? Now, again, there's a complexity to it, and every situation is different. Right. So if you would throw different things at me, and I could give radical acceptance uh, a different meaning in so many different ways. But how it's beneficial, it's being able to allow you to accept that you're a human in that moment and seeing what you can and cannot control in that moment as well. Right. So from my understanding, BBT therapy was initially sort of developed to um, substitute for CBT, which is cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, But now it's like a gold standard of treatment for mental health. So it's helpful with with substance abuse, um, post-traumatic stress disorder, binge eating, purging, things like that. what else, like if you want to just like summarize DBT and that sort of area, why why is this such a great way? 
or a great um, technique for people when they're experiencing trauma, like the trauma that we have sort of going on at different levels with um, people in the world today with what's going on with the pandemic. Yeah. You know, I think, and why I've always continued to study and grow from DBT, even though I've been practicing that for about uh, six years, I got trained in that two years into uh, before I even started the graduate program. Uh, I was lucky enough to work at a treatment center at bachelor's level and I became a counselor uh, intern and the program was just geared towards DBT. At first, I hated it because of the complexity of it. It wasn't until I left that teen center that I actually saw the strength of being trained in it. Right. Um, and this uh, this type of theory and therapy allows you to have a very solution um, focus. What I mean by that is how can I solve this problem in the moment? DBT does that. It allows you to learn that there's no judgments in the moment. You're doing the best you can, and you can also do better, right? And it gives you tool sets for days on what to do, right? So it's actually implementing very simple yet possible interventions, right, that you can do in the moment to help yourself. And that's why I love it so much. Um, I apply it to my own self, but then in the moment, I can apply a, a tool set for a client. And what makes DBTs uh, different than any other type of therapies, at least from what I'm seeing, is you, a lot of times you do individual therapy with a DBT therapist, okay? And you'll not only have the one-on-one sessions, but you would have access to me, let's say, during a traumatic event or a very distressing situation. So in that moment, you would text me or you'll call me, right, which is very unheard of from other different therapists because a lot of times they're... Uh, don't, don't want to take on that liability or they don't want to be um, more stressed out in the moment. But in that moment, if I'm teaching you skill sets, right, and if you're activated, right, by your emotions in the moment. So let's say Liz is having an active panic attack, right? Would it benefit me to teach her in session when she was not having a panic attack? Of course not. I can train her how to do the breath work and stuff. But to apply this tool set in the moment, that in itself is amazing. So yeah. Liz would contact me and being like, hey, I can't bring I'm having a panic attack. Yeah. So then therefore I would text her, this is what you need to do as kind of like instructions because in that moment what ends up happening, you're in a fire flight mode. Right. Yeah. I actually from a from from a parent standpoint, I actually do this with my own son. Um, he definitely has some triggers and gets in that fight or flight mode. And I try to I'm teaching him breath work. Good. And so I've taught him like the box breath and things like that and, and how to hold right. breath properly. And, and so, but yeah, I, I think it is more helpful when it's in the moment versus of course it is. not experiencing it. Because that's where the real, right. And if you think about that too, Liz, especially what you're doing with your son, you're catching him in the moment when he's having a panic attack and you're providing the needed space for him to mm-hmm. be accepted that what he's going through is okay. It's some type of reaction that's happening and you're coaching him through it. Right. And the more times you do that and you're uh, teaching him that tool set, what do you think is going to happen? He's going to have that as a learned behavior. He's going to learn like from a, that. It's like an actual rewiring immediately. Yes. It's, in the it's moment. like an, an yes. active rewiring of the yes. reaction. Yeah. So not And that's why I love it so much. That's I know. I it's it. so fascinating. We, we should do like a whole nother a podcast just on DBT because it's so fascinating to me. Um, so let's talk a little bit about what shutdown is and um, because we have fight, flight, and then we have shutdown in general terms. I don't want to get too fancy here, but, and why, why it's so important for people to stay connected with, their family, with their friends, with their coaches, and with their therapist during a time like this. Um, I know in positive psychology um, coaching and positive psychology psychotherapy, you know, we um, talk a lot about staying connected and why it's so important. But from a therapist uh, or from a counselor's standpoint, tell me why connection is so important versus 
shutdown and why shutdown, like shutdown is basically isolation. Can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah. So shutdown, what it does is it basically we retreat into ourselves in a a not healthy way. Okay. And again, um, there's a complexity too. You can imagine that could be different for somebody who is, let's say, introverted versus extroverted, right? Right. Their shutdowns are going to look differently, right? Right. Um, so I don't, I don't want people to get confused with that because a lot of times they get confused with their introversion with the shutdown. Um, and the, there's distinctions between that. Right. So when the shutdown is, it, it, you're isolating, right? And isolation is very it's not a good state to be in. Okay. Um, that's where you can battle with very intrusive thoughts, right? Negative thinking. Uh, it makes you feel isolated um, where you feel no connection whatsoever. You might feel numb. And in that moment, um, even though you're feeling that numbness, you, you want that connection and connection is a safety net. Um, and it's also part of our human experience as human beings. We, we are social beings. We are, and I don't know how politically correct this is, but we're tribal. We've had that part of our, our an- ancestries, depending on and the complexity of that, you know, over the years. If you think of caveman, right, there, we had a tribe, right? We had a connection. We needed that to learn and grow. We're not lone wolves. I think um, it's, uh, uh, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I think, I think it's an important thing to really cover because, um, There's so many people who are isolated right now because of the social distancing and all of the, you know, the rules that have been put into place. I know here where I live in Dallas, Texas, just by county, it can be a little bit different. But if you are single, for example, or if you are an elderly person and you live alone, or if you're an only child, I know my son is an only child. So the things that I have to like literally practice awareness that my child is alone. He's not in school every day. He's not in the classroom. He's not having lunch with his friends. What do you think are some good things um, for those people who are truly alone, who might be experiencing some shutdown um, to be sure that they are doing? And I'm sorry if I'm jumping all over the place. No, you're fine. Just sort of dig sort of dig in because these are questions that I think uh, many people um, who aren't, you know, trained in counseling or therapy or DBT would, would benefit from is understanding, like you said, what shutdown is, but how we need to recognize, recognize the signs of shutdown and how we can prevent it from actually happening. And can we, can we do that? Yeah. I mean, um, DBT is another aspect why I love it so much. There's, there's two things that happen. One, there's prevention, right? And prevention is basically how can I learn new tool sets that I can put on my Batman belt, right? That can <laughs> aid me, right? Into a new situation, right? Right. And that can prevent me, right? From reacting in a negative way, right? And then we have the other thing, which is called intervention, right? And intervention is, okay, cool. The prevention might have not worked, or maybe this is my first time experiences. The intervention is how do I need to handle myself in this moment? The best thing you can do, because a lot of times people can't even build that awareness if they're in shutdown, they don't know it. Right. But here's the thing. If you are and you're listening to this, you might not know it. And hopefully maybe you can identify it. Reach out. You have, mm-hmm. uh, even if you're not faith-based, reach out to a church and have that connection, Right depending on the type of religion, you have a community that's there, reach out uh, to the crisis hotline. I know people are like, oh, but Brent, you know, there's uh, so many other people. No, that's the reason why we have a crisis hotline. You will Mm -hmm. be talking to a trained uh, professional counselor that will help you and can actually answer questions on the spot for you. And it's a free service at the same time. So I would recommend that too. Getting involved in social media, right, if you can. I think this is forcing a lot of people to connect um, and being able to form those authentic relationships. And it's okay. uh, Contact people. I know that our first national response is, oh, well, someone else is going through something. They are. But at the same time, too, we are social beings. We like to be checked up on. 
So maybe you might have to be that person that checks up another person. And, but, and again, where are you getting, you're getting that connection. Right. So I think, I think FaceTime FaceTime is a great, a great tool. And also the zoom, you know, the zoom conferencing, um, to put some, some actual physicalness in the connectiveness. It's not just about, you know, interacting on social media, which I think is a great thing, but actually engaging with people through voice and if you can in person through, you know, technology, um, with my own, and I'll just use my son as an example. The way I've done this is because I've noticed he wants to play video games after school, after homeschooling, and he'll go in his room and shut the door. I make sure he leaves the door open so that he can see, you know, what's going on out here, even though I'm working. And then I make him call at least two friends a day to FaceTime with them. Nice. Um, and and nice. sometimes he gets upset. He's like, I don't need to. And I'm like, nope, you do. You do yeah. because because if you don't, then you'll start to get into that mode. Now, I don't explain it to him that way, but um, I think that connection is so important. Um, Brent, I mean, this has been so fascinating. I know. You finally got to experience me in my, uh, my zone with my oh, full-on I uh, love it. Hat. I love it. I love it. And um, so not to put you on the spot, but I know that Go you for it are now offering um, counseling through teletherapy. What is it called? Telehealth. Telehealth. Yeah. Can you do like a little commercial for yourself and tell me more about that and how people can reach out to you and how they contact you for that? Right. So, yeah, people can. uh, um, So telehealth is basically uh, just meeting people through a form of communication that is not in person. So that could be through phone, that could be through Zoom, right, with an interaction. So I'm actually offering, off, offering, uh, combined two words, which I usually do. That's, uh, <laughs> that's why I love John Kim, the angry therapist. He just embraces that that yeah. stuff like I do. Um, but um, I'm actually operating in the state of Florida. So mean, in if you're in the Florida and you're hearing this, I can provide a ther- uh, counseling services to you in the state. Outside of the state, I can do life coaching, okay? So I can do mental health wellness with you. And you can always reach out to me. Uh, the best way would be probably through uh, my Instagram account, actually. What is your Instagram handle? Yeah, it's going to be The Geek Therapist. That's right. And, and, and both Brent and I are coaches through the Journey Coaching Organization. And right. we're also going to be um, – doing some group coaching sessions, which we'll uh, talk about more in the next couple of days, but also individual coaching. Um, and it can be very much so mindfulness, mental health focused. Um, and um, we can give you exercises to do um, and just provide some holding space. Um, so what I heard you say, Brent, is that your Instagram handle is the geek therapist. People can reach out to you on Instagram if they feel like they may need some counseling if they live in the state of Florida. Yes. Otherwise, you are also providing coaching. Um, I know me right now, um, for until May 4th, I have decided to offer free coaching um, until May 4th, when that is when um, our governor has basically told us we are supposed to be self-isolating or, you know, social distancing. And so during this sort of time of, in, of need for coaching, um, that is something that I'm going to be providing. Um, is your coaching going to be that way or how are you going to do that? So with, I, I think with me, um, they can just reach out to me and I can let them know. Yeah. Um, I know that at this time, I, I'm, even with the telehealth and stuff like that, I'm doing a very sliding scale Perfect. of meeting people where they're at. Perfect. Um, I'm also be doing uh, groups with John, who I mentioned before. So maybe I can do some uh, life coaching groups with people too. So I'm in the works of developing a lot of different things um, yeah. uh, that are going to be in play. I'm going to launch a website pretty soon. And um, if you follow uh, you know, Elizabeth and stuff like that, she'll probably post a lot of that stuff as well. Yeah. Um, And um, I just want to end by saying that I think 
trauma in a sense is such a wide range of experience. And, but I, I do, I do think, and correct me if I'm wrong, or if you, if you disagree, I do think that the current situation that's happening globally is a traumatic event. Yeah. Um, because it's not necessarily what you're experiencing firsthand, but what you are witnessing, what you are hearing about, what your maybe extended relatives are experiencing. And so all of that affects you. And um, so I just want to make sure that people feel validated, validated, you know, that this is not a normal thing. This is totally not normal. And it's okay if you're feeling a little unwell or unsure, but there's so many resources available, um, including counseling with people like Brent and coaching. Brent is a counselor and a coach, um, and I'm also a coach. So Brent, thank you so much for, for hopping on with me today to do this podcast. I know we've been talking about it for a while. So yeah, it's been a pleasure, uh, pleasure. I can't yeah. speak now. Um, and it's been an honor, um, to kind of do this and to have you kind of pick me apart a little bit and us continue our friendship and our professional relationship too. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, um, Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. And if you have any questions, just send me a DM or you can contact Brent directly. Um, And namaste. Hey, guys, thanks for listening. Um, Just wanted to add one last thing, and that is if if you find yourself sort of feeling a little bit unwell, um, definitely encourage you to reach out to the available resources. If you need a list of resources, feel free to contact me or if you need to be referred out to a licensed um, therapist or counselor, um, I'm happy to help you um, find one that you can connect with in order to help you maybe deal with some of the circumstances that you have right now in your life. Um, It's really important to stay connected and to reach out and ask for help. In that regards, it's really important to me as a future practitioner to say that. I hope you guys enjoyed the recording. And again, if you have any questions or if you need a referral, just reach out to me and I'd be happy to help you.